And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So for whatever reason, um, when he shared that passage, this, I got hung up on the light of the world thing. And so for about four or five weeks, I've been in a, probably the most focused study that I've had in a few years on a single topic. Um, I will say in advance that it's far from concluded. Um, and with four or five weeks of um, study for me, that is like eight hours of material. So obviously, you guys are all like, good Lord, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, but um, I had to pick kind of one topic to focus on. Um, but I realized this light of the world thing is something that we learn way down here, right? You know, they got my candle, my light, you know, I'm not going to cover it up with a bushel. We're not letting Satan quit out, right? Um, but what's the light of the world, right? I mean, I, and, you know, I know, I know Jesus is the light of the world, right? And then he tells us, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? And so I started looking at it. I'd always, you know, pictured the light of the world as being just a totally positive thing, you know, where we're just going around and we're happy. It's kind of the light. We're just happy. So why would happiness cause Jesus to be rejected, though? So... I had, to, I had to stop and go back and look and say, what is this light of the world thing really all about? So if you go through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, light is a theme over and over and over and over. Okay? So not every reference to light applies to what we're going to talk about today, but many of them do. And what was really interesting as I started to study the light of the world, many I'd say even most of the references point back to the tabernacle in Exodus. I didn't see that coming, I guess. So how many of you guys are real familiar with the tabernacle? All right, Barry, good. Okay, so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cruise through some of the tabernacles. So some of you that are experts, you know, don't get mad. There's like, you could do study upon study upon study on the tabernacle. So the two of you guys, just, you know, take it easy on me. I'm going to make some generalizations, but they're biblical. Um, so the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? It was given as a part of the law to Moses in Exodus 25, right? Yep. Okay. So just bear with me on this. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God with man. That's a big deal. I know we're kind of like, that's a big deal. God says, I am going to come and I'm going to dwell with you in your midst. Now, this is the God that the people had watched descend on a mountain that caused shaking and trembling of the earth, where they were told, don't touch it or you'll, you'll die. And then this God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to live in your midst in a tent. The tabernacle was huge. And it also set these people apart as the people of God. So this tabernacle was 45 by 15. This church is like 40, 
40 to 42 feet wide. Okay, so it's a little bit longer than this. And since 15 uh, blocks are 15 inches, somebody look over there and do the math. All right, so, you know, give or take between these two beams and across the church, that was the tabernacle. It was a canvas tent, more or less, made out of skins, but it was completely enclosed. And this tabernacle was both the dwelling place of God with men, and it was also kind of a representation of the Garden of Eden. And with the layout and the positioning of the gates, it was like Eden. So the perfection of life, or as life was intended to be with God, apart from sin. So in this tabernacle, God gives a very specific direction. He says, I'm going to come and live with you. I'm going to live in your midst. But because I'm going to live with you, you need to live a certain way. You've got to act a certain way. You've got to practice certain practices. And he appoints the priests to do these, the sons of Aaron, Aaron and his sons. Become the priests that get to carry out these practices. So you've got the sacrifice, the ceremonial washing, the burning of incense, the showbread, all these things. Each of them could take a series of sermons. That's not where we're going today. So these these practices that they were carrying out were to represent the life lived in constant communion with God. All of them would ultimately be fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The way of life that these guys had to execute in the tabernacle was very, very different than the surrounding cultures. It was very unique. So, when you enclose this 45 by 15 foot tent and you've got all this activity going on inside, you've got sacrifices, they're washing, you've got the showbread, everything's made of gold, it's perfect, it's pure, and the tabernacle is enclosed with multiple layers of skins and other things that kept out every shred of light from the outside, so the tabernacle is pitch black, completely dark, if not for the lampstand. So the lampstand is what we now know as the menorah, right? The little menorah, right, that goes in the window? Okay, so the real lampstand was about five feet tall. It's about this wide. And it had seven stems that went up, made of pure gold. Okay, so... I've always thought of the menorah kind of like these little candles that stuck up. There's seven candles. But as a lamp, and it was burning oil, purest olive oil. Not, not like candles, but lamps. So I'm studying this menorah, and these guys are describing it in detail. And, and the best I could do to come up with would be, have you guys ever used a lantern, kerosene lantern? It's going to be bright. Multiple lanterns. On top of this, not a candle casting a little light, but a massive light that's going to shed light throughout the entire tabernacle. So you have all these activities that the priests are doing in the tabernacle that would not be revealed if not for the presence of the lampstand. They'd be carried out in the dark, unknown, stumbling around, but they're not. A lampstand is given to expose this entire way of life within the tabernacle that God designed. Without it, it's in darkness. With it, it's all light. Now, this might be like overly simplistic, but 
the light reveals. It's, I mean, I know we know that, right? But when we're talking about the light of the world and you're the light of the world, why do I always think it's about being happy? Being happy doesn't reveal anything. The light reveals. Light has no darkness in it, in its nature. The light reveals what is good and it exposes what is evil. That's what the light does. And the lamp was commanded to burn day and night and never go out. And if you know about uh, Hanukkah, uh, it was celebrating the miracle of the lamp burning day after day after day after day when they didn't have any oil. The Festival of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. So the lamp was commanded to burn day and night and it was commanded to be burned with only the purest oil. Okay, so hang on to that over there. So now Jesus comes to earth, right? And he's coming to fulfill this Old Testament law, the tabernacle being a part of that law. He's coming to fulfill the presence of God in the world. But when he comes as the presence of God in the earth, he doesn't do it in a tent. He pulls the tent off the frame and he says, the presence of God is going to come and dwell with men. The tabernacle is now the whole earth, all the world. And and the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in that tabernacle. So he's fulfilling the tabernacle picture, but he's broadening it. You remember in Isaiah, I think it's 54, where he says, expand the tent pegs? Jesus expanded the tent pegs all the way. There's no more tent, guys. The presence of God has come to dwell with man in the whole earth. His presence would no longer just be for a small group of people, but for all mankind. So we see, like in Hebrews, where the tabernacle is called just a shadow of things to come. It's not the fulfillment of everything. It's just a shadow. So when we look at it, and we look at its different pieces as symbols or shadows or pictures of what's to come, we see that Jesus comes as the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is given as the presence of God in the earth, and the tabernacle becomes the whole world. So what of the priests, the way of life required in the tabernacle and of the lampstands? So you guys know in the New Testament that we become the kingdom of priests, yeah? We become the priests that are now given a new way of life to carry out in this tabernacle, the earth. We still are given a way of living from God. It's not the law, but it's a higher law, the law of the spirit and of life. So we're not carrying out the minutia of the law like they had to with the the washing of hands and the sacrifice and the rubbing of this and that and the other. We're now carrying out the law of the Spirit. We have taken over the role of Aaron and his sons in walking out the practices, the way of life given to us by God, known usually in the New Testament as good works. These good works are still to be in accordance with God's word. And we're given the privilege of living this higher way, the law of the spirit, in which we can have victory over sin. And we are able to live out and manifest in large part what God intended 
for Eden. That's why we're given the kingdom. We're given the kingdom so that we can build a way of life that was intended to be in Eden and will one day be culminated and fulfilled in the return of Jesus. So we, we know a lot of these ways of life, right? We've been in church for a long time, right? Most of us are Christians. We're familiar that this way of life in the New Testament, okay, I'm going to give you some New Testament examples of this way of life. So love and serve the Lord your God with your whole uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's pretty similar to the old law, right? But now we have the Spirit, the presence of God, so we can do it. We can love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Serve no other God, also in the New Testament. Do not love money. Live in purity and righteousness. No sex of any kind outside of God's intended design for marriage between a husband and wife. No stealing, no murder, no drunkenness, no coarse language, no gossip. Heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the good news. Live single and devoted to serving God. Or get married and raise godly children. These are just a handful of New Testament good works. And we know these and we live these on a daily basis. Right? We have done a great job as a Christian church of taking on this yoke of the priesthood. And saying we're going to do these things because we know this is the way of life that God ordains in the law of the spirit. It's fantastic. We should... You know, we should applaud ourselves. Really. It's, it's wonderful. And it's wonderful to be given this privilege. So as it was in the tabernacle, the light remains essential for New Testament Christian living. As with the light in the tabernacle, none of the good works are exposed or revealed apart from the light. So this is where I started kind of hammering it out because... I'd always seen the good works themselves as the light, and that's it. In Matthew 5, when Jesus tells, let your, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, he's, he's differentiating two things, the light and the good deeds. He's separating the two. Kind of interesting, I'd never caught that before. But he's saying, here, guys, let your light shine so they may see your good deeds, just like in the tabernacle. You have all of these activities that are good works, sacrifice, um, the bread, ceremonial washing, good works. The light has to shine so that these good deeds may be seen. Now we move into the new covenant and we have this way of life that we've just described. And we know it and we live it. But the light is not the good deeds. What's the light? I'm not entirely sure. I'm just hoping to be able to tell you. The light is meant to reveal. John 3, 21, two verses after the first, remember the first verse that I read, you guys? And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. I'll read it for you again. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Two verses after that in John three twenty one, Jesus says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, works, light. Those who do works that are carried out in God come to the light. 
so that it may be seen that their works were carried out in God. Now, I will also say, because in Matthew 6, if you guys remember, Jesus says, don't do your good works to be seen by everyone, right? And we go, how do you, these don't make sense. Okay, so he's talking about a heart position. He's saying, don't do your works in front of people to receive the praise of man. Do your works in secret to be seen by your Father. In other words, what, the works that you do ought not to be for people. The works that you do ought to be for God, to receive praise and appreciation from God. So he's not, he's not saying don't do these in public because otherwise he'd be contradicting himself. He's saying in your heart, what you do, do for God, not for men. Now he also goes on to say, now do your things in front of men, but do them for God. Do your things to be seen by all, but do them for God. Don't worry about men. Good works that are unknown will be rewarded by God, but they'll have little effect on the lives of those living in darkness. The light is also meant to expose. Go back one verse from John 3.21 to John 3.20, and he says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Again, the light is separated from the works. They're not the same thing. They're two different things. That, for me, was pretty, I mean, it was just kind of groundbreaking. and a big deal. But you got, you know, it's okay if you don't appreciate it. I do. <laughs> Dark deeds despise the light because the light exposes the darkness. Again, light in its nature reveals what is good and exposes that which is evil. I didn't just pick two words. Those are the ones that Jesus uses. Reveal good, expose dark. So we are meant to make known the works of God. That's what the light of the world is. It's not just doing the works because you can see that he's separating the two. We are to make known the works of God by both proclamation and demonstration with an emphasis on proclamation. What do I mean by that? Jesus defined himself as the light of the world. He both lived out the works of his Father, and he told others what the works and ways of his Father were and are. Hang on one second, I've got to... I changed my last page of notes. So, one thing I want to point out about this, just to kind of prove my point. Jesus went about doing the works of the Father, right? Healing the sick, casting out demons. Jesus was not murdered for what he did. He was murdered for what he said. So that's why I say when we're making known the works of God, the good works of God, it's by both proclamation and demonstration, with an emphasis on proclamation. And this is where I think we have an opportunity.
Jesus defined himself as the light of the world, he later refers to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, as a burning, shining lamp. Do you remember John? This guy was remarkable. His way of life was so extremely different than anything in the culture around him. But I don't think it was entirely about his way of life that made him a burning, shining lamp. I think that was part of it. But I think the other thing that made him a burning, shining lamp was his proclamation that people turn from the ways of darkness and come to the ways of God. His proclamation that God had a different way of life than what had been done for centuries. And men needed to leave the old ways and come to the new. John the baptizer was known as a burning, shining lamp, and he says you enjoyed his light for a little while. As with Jesus, it wasn't what John did that got him killed, it was what he said that got him killed. It was when he confronted the ruler of the day that he lost his life. It wasn't for living in a desert, eating honey and wild locusts. It wasn't for preaching to the Pharisees. It was for confronting the ways of darkness that did not correlate with the ways of God that he lost his head. Doing the works of God is our priestly duty and it keeps us from hypocrisy. But proclaiming the works of God reveals to the world that which we're doing and this combination is what shines as light in darkness. When we stop and think, at least for me, the verse that I'm so quick to say, yeah, I kind of brush it off. I, you know, I got that, light of the world. You know, I'm just going about living a good Christian life, shining away. The verse that I think most easily describes me, probably most convicts me. Because it's not entirely about just going about our Christian way of life. It's primarily about proclaiming this way of life and declaring it and making it known to the world. You see, there's a piece of it that's important. Like I said, it's our priestly duty and it keeps us from hypocrisy to demonstrate this way of life that God gives us. He's called us out of our evil deeds and out of our dark ways and he's brought us into this way of life that's bountiful and fruitful and abundant. And we live it because that's our duty. That's our obligation and our obedience and our privilege as sons and daughters. But the light aspect of the Christian life is our proclamation that others can too leave the ways of darkness and step into the marvelous light. In the first century, these guys hadn't had the light in over 400 years. They had, the word of God was absent for 400 years. The proclamation of God was absent for 400 years. So I think they had a different view of the value of light than we have today. See, for them, 
they hadn't heard the proclamation of God's ways for over 400 years. So when it came in the person of John and then Jesus and the apostles, I can assure you that keeping that light burning was of the utmost importance. To ensure that the proclamation of God's word and his way continued would have been of the highest priority. See, here's us, right? And we li- we've lived in a country that for a couple hundred years has had the voice of God, has had the light shining. It, it wasn't unusual for people that were political leaders, teachers, business leaders in the nation to speak openly of God and Jesus and his ways. And as that happened, we started to devalue the light. We stopped realizing how rare and beautiful and precious the proclamation of God's word and his ways was. And we got comfortable. And over the course of two generations, we've largely been duped into believing that we really needn't proclaim anything about God or Jesus or his way of life. That as long as we carry out our priestly duties, that's enough. In the public declaration of faith, it's really not needed. In fact, now it's almost unappreciated. And so if we're not careful, soon we'll find ourselves as the Israel did right before John arrived in a period of darkness where there is no light, there is no proclamation because we become priests but we're doing it in the dark because we're no longer declaring the works and the ways of God publicly in our land. And this is where the opportunity presents itself. We have been given a way of life that for most of us, if you were to talk to us, we'd share a testimony that's so remarkable about deliverance from darkness and into light, about a way of life that we didn't think could ever be ours, that God has given us, pulling us out of corruption, remarkable. We have been given the privilege of carrying the light back into the world. I have this hunch, and I can't, I can't prove it yet, so you've got to give me, just give me a little latitude here. Matthew 25 is a parable of the ten virgins. I've heard that preached 45 times, and every time it's about a ministry. I don't think it is. I just have a hunch, okay? And they can't prove that it's a ministry, so whatever. I'm going to tell you what I think it is. He talks about the ten virgins that when Jesus, the bridegroom, is delayed... They all fall asleep, and some of them don't bring extra oil to trim and revitalize their lamp. And the lamps start going dim. And when a voice cries out, the bridegroom is coming, those who were wise trimmed their lamps, and the light shone again, and they entered in with the bridegroom into his glory. And those who were foolish and did not bring oil, they were left in the darkness. I think this is about the proclamation of the ways of God in the earth. I think as things grow darker, 
the church has a temptation of falling asleep and we'll just go about our priestly duties, but we needn't proclaim the ways of God. It's not appreciated like it used to be. We're not proclaiming the ways of God in the earth for the audience that's listening. We're proclaiming the ways and works of God in the earth for the God that redeemed us. That's why Jesus said, do not your works before men, but do them before your Father. Because he knew that when you proclaim the works of God in the earth, it's not always appreciated on earth, but it's always applauded in heaven. We have been given a privilege of light bearers in the earth for the Most High God. It's the same role that Jesus himself carried while he was on the earth. It was given to the apostles, light bearers on the earth, not just priests, which is remarkable enough in itself, but light bearers, proclaimers of the ways and works of God in the earth. That's been our privilege to receive it and for doing it to receive and be rewarded by the only God in heaven. It's remarkable. So as I see it, there are two things that could prevent us from carrying this light. One is just a not understanding that carrying the light and the proclamation of the gospel and the word of God is as much a part of our role as the priestly duties of walking in obedience to Jesus. And the other is just pure fear. Nobody likes stepping on toes. We don't. I think some of us do. <laughs> right? Nobody really enjoys that piece of this. It doesn't take long. With one sentence, you could say one sentence and offend three quarters of the culture in our population right now, right? It's, it's, it's pretty easy. And so the light gets dimmer. The oil isn't so pure as it used to be. We start to mix the oil of the world with the oil of the kingdom, and pretty soon our lamp can't burn as hot or as bright as it used to. I don't want to offend anyone, so now I'm, I'm going to put a little shade over my lamp, and pretty soon I'm slumbering, and I'm not sure if I can even trim the wick anymore. Right? I mean, how many of you guys have been asked about your position on a certain cultural or social issue. And most of us, we kind of, I knew that was coming. Well, I think this, and I apologize as I say it, or I just don't share it at all. And so I don't offend the person standing in front of me, but I break the heart of my Father in heaven. got the opportunity to share his way, and I go, no, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Sorry again, Lord. Hope you can cope. And we don't realize that we're here because they might never hear if not for us. But more than that, we're here because our Lord 
that delivered us from darkness deserves to have his works, his ways, and his name declared in the earth. And we have the privilege of declaring it. You see, throughout the New Testament, first John, then Jesus, then Stephen, the first martyr, then Paul. These guys don't just proclaim the gospel that Jesus, you know, he loves you and he died for your sins and that's all you need to know. They proclaimed the full gospel of the kingdom, which carries with it a way of life. And there's one cool story in Acts 19 where Paul is going in and he's gone into Ephesus. Ephesus was the home of Artemis of the Ephesians, okay? This was a matriarchal society. It was very different than the gospel. There were many gods. Artemis was like... And Paul goes in and he goes head on with the cultural issues in Ephesus. And the one referred to in Acts 19, and there's a couple others in First and Second Timothy that he... He deals with head on. But the one in Acts 19 was multiple gods. And he goes in, he starts going, guys, one. And it ain't her. And all these gods that are made with hands, they're not going to cut it. They got to go. And what happens is the idol makers is a actually very profitable business. They're like, hey, we ain't having this. And so they incite a riot in town because they're infuriated that Paul is teaching his people, not only does Jesus love you and he dies for your sins, but you got to get rid of that crap. Char's not here, I can say that. (laughs) you got to get rid of the junk, and you got to walk in all the ways of God. And when he told them that, it started to affect the culture. They didn't appreciate it. And Paul's light shone brighter. See, we have before us an opportunity to be voices that are declaring the ways of God to men. It's incredible. I mean, I feel so privileged to have been given the priestly duties that I get to walk in a path that God created for me. I mean, I can't believe that path and where it's led. And I'm still, you know, at least in the first half, I would say, you know, maybe third, depending. Everybody's trying to do the mental math. He's like, what is he, 14? Um, We have a huge privilege of these priestly duties of walking out the ways of God. With it goes a tremendous privilege that will be rewarded throughout the ages in heaven. Guys, there's coming a day in the I don't know how far future when Jesus is going to come back and every work in every way that we've proclaimed to the earth will become the normal. The ways of God don't change with political leadership. They don't change with cultural approval. They're not democratic. They're theocratic. That means that a God is in charge of the kingdom. He decides what it is. You guys all know that, but I had to learn that as dictionary app. This is a theocracy, and God says this is the way, and it's eternal, and it'll never change. And when it goes out of style for a few years, and everyone looks and goes, vanquish the light. 
and the light keeps burning, there will come a day where the whole earth is filled with the light that's the glory of the Lord. And when this is fulfilled, there will not even be a sun or a moon because the Lamb himself will be the light of the earth. Guys, all the ways that we get to proclaim are coming back into style. And all the times you were told you're wrong or you're on the wrong side of history, everybody's going to be proved wrong and you'll be proved right. And you'll be seated in a heavenly place receiving applaud from your Father in heaven throughout all time. So we have that privilege of carrying out the priestly duties, but proclaiming the works of God. Lord, give us the courage to walk this out. Lord, give us the perspective to see that we do this for you and not for anyone out here. Worship team, you can come back up. If that's okay. Yeah, there you go. Not to proclaim it. Say that again. Not to proclaim his works is to steal the glory for ourselves from God. It's a hard-hitting word, but guys, this is one of the great privileges that's given to the church is to be a burning and shining lamp. So Lord, give us perspective. Give us perspective to see that we do this. We proclaim the ways and the works of your kingdom. We proclaim your name in the earth and we do it publicly and unashamedly because we do it not for men, but we do it for you. Lord, we are not ashamed of your ways and of your name. We declare that. Father, we are not ashamed of you. We are not ashamed of your ways and of your kingdom. Give us perspective to see that we do this for you, Lord. We do this before you and in your eyes and in your sight. And you will reward us richly for it. Lord, give us courage. Because in this world, we will have trouble. Give us courage that we might take heart for you have overcome the world. Give us courage, Father, to stand before you, eyes on you, and proclaim your ways to men even though they might reject it. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being called out of darkness and into marvelous light. And thank you for the privilege of proclaiming that to the ends of the earth. We love you, Lord. Amen.